based on the study that we did in Jesus' parable or the, the, the uh, sower of uh, or soils, excuse me. A couple of different names there. Parable of the sower, parable of the soils. However you were raised to understand it, that's where we have been. And so because today is Father's Day, I thought it wise uh, to apply this truth to the role and practice of fatherhood. Now, today we're going to spend a little time talking about the importance of being a dad. And if you are a dad, you know that the task is a rewarding one and also a very challenging one. And that said as men, fathering well is a super important rhythm for us to embrace. Because in many ways, the way that we carry ourselves on earth with our children is meant to be a direct reflection of the way our Father in Heaven carries Himself with the world. There is a parallel there, you might say. A strong one. And so before we move on, I want to say one thing. Uh, Holiday-type weekends like this are, can be interesting because for some of us, and we might, not even, we might have some people that are not even here today because they think, oh, this is about a father, and I'm not really a father. I have no desire to be one. Maybe you're a mom, you know, whatever, a giraffe. We hear this idea of father, and we think, you know, there's a, there, that's not me. And I want, what I want to say here is that even if you aren't a father, what I'm going to teach on today is applicable to you. Because this good soil rhythm we're going to discuss, they are rhythms that God wants all of his people to understand and live out. So it, today, we're going to particularly apply these ideas to fatherhood, these truths to fatherhood, but they are not limited to fatherhood. And so I hope whether you are a current dad, a future dad, a mom, you're single, a child, whatever, however you've entered this room, I, I pray you'll pay close attention, because I promise God has something that he wants to show you in the teaching we're going to look at today from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. And I'll reread those to you here in a moment, just so that we're refreshed, since the, uh, the verses will not be behind us. Before we do that, though, I want to point out, it is in these verses that we observe an amazing example of a conversation between a father and a son. And that's, I think, one of, the, one of the best ways to look at these dialogues the Scripture gives us between Jesus and God. Whenever Jesus is praying to his Father, what he is doing is talking to God. He is talking to his Father. And so, John 17 is the beginning of a very lengthy prayer that Jesus offers to his Heavenly Father just before he goes to the cross. And the way he speaks to his father gives us some keen insights into what a good father is and what a good father does. Before we look at these marks, I, I want to spend some time uh, talking about fatherhood first. And that's, that's important. You, if you have been with us here for any, any amount of time, you know, restoration has been around for seven years now, just about. Whenever we come across ideas or words that are incredibly rich in the scripture, today we're going to talk about this word father. It's wise for us to note that not everybody is going to have the same understanding of that word. The word father, like the word grace, like the word sin, these are words that can be highly uh, subjected to interpretation. So we want to make sure that as we proceed, we really root ourselves in understanding what fatherhood is before we actually ask our, you know, as a body, ask you to apply this to your life. So the first truth that I want to share with you this morning revolves around that concept, and it is simply this. Fatherhood as we know it on earth finds its root in our eternal Father in heaven. John 17, 1-2 teaches us this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, and he calls God Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. We see like the, one of the roots of Jesus' relationship with, with his Father, one of the roots of his ability to do what he is going to do, is connected to this idea that he sees God as Father, and Father sees him as his Son. It's amazing, but a truth. Now, as amazing as it is, this truth is an important one to know. Because some people have very mixed feelings about what earthly fatherhood is, or the idea of father. And that's why holidays like this, uh, Mother's Day, whatever the day is, there are usually going to be one or two, maybe three, sort of general opinions about these ideas. Holidays like this tend to be met with mixed emotions. 
largely defined by a few things. The biggest one, I would say, is the kind of home a person grew up in. And so just saying the word father in a diverse audience like this is likely going to conjure up very different images of what fatherhood is. Because, to a certain degree, when we talk about fathering on earth, the tallest tree in the forest is meant to be our fathers, right? This is why some boys grow up wanting to be like their dad. Others grow up not having one at all. Some girls grow up saying, I want to marry a man like my father. Others grow up in abusive contexts where they come to resent masculinity of some or any sort. All based on what has been seen and experienced, at least in large part. And so it is pretty much indisputable that the word father can be a loaded term. And to properly appreciate it, we really do have to turn to the purest example we have of it in God. This is true with, with all of the character traits about God. When we begin to talk about things like you know, justice and judgment and mercy and grace, there are always going to be very healthy and very unhealthy examples under heaven of how this stuff has worked. There are places in the world where justice prevails, where it reigns, at least attempts to, and there are places in the world where there is no justice. And so we have to really recognize when we talk about these characteristics of who God is, and we try to apply them to our lives, we have to go to the source. We have to go to the purest example of what these truths mean, so that when we begin to pray about them and live them out, we're actually functioning in a, in a way that honors God, that reflects God, in this case, fatherhood. And so if you've spent any time studying the New Testament, you know that something astounding happens between us and God because of Jesus, because of everything we just sung about. All throughout the Bible, God's people refer to him. There's no shortage of, of names that God has in the Scripture. But in the New Testament, this idea that we read about in the Gospel of John, where Jesus calls God Father, something pretty powerful happens. Something maybe we might even say changes a little bit. And we see the root of this change in, in Matthew chapter 6. You Bible scholars will know that that's where we read through the Lord's Prayer. And it's there while instructing us on how to approach God. The whole point of the Lord's Prayer essentially is teaching us how is it now, since God is available to the world through Jesus in ways that have never been seen or experienced in history, Jesus gives us very crucial teaching for how we actually approach God as our Father. And he opens this by saying, you know, when you go to your Father, call him what? Our Father, too, you get that. Let's try that again. You call him our Father. Father, right? That's pretty powerful. Think about this. He doesn't say when you approach God, you start by calling him the supreme Lord or deity of the universe. He is that. He doesn't say that we approach him by saying, you know, sovereign Father, creator of all. He doesn't say that, although he is all that. He says, listen, don't start by calling him the king of your life, although he is that. He says, when you call out to God, call him Father. Or in some translations, the word can actually has a very very rich idea of daddy. That's what is behind that word. And I, that is a word that I hear a lot. I have two younger daughters, and when they say that, it really makes me happy. There's something sweet about that from the experiencing side of a father. But it starts to show the type of love that, that people or children have for us. That is a term of endearment. And it is the one that Jesus tells us to approach God under. It's pretty amazing when you think about this that Jesus is saying the, the basis of our relationship with God is not based on a lofty spiritual ex exclusivity with some pretentious God. You know, a God who has no time for you. A God who is, you know, a megalomaniac. It's not any of that. What he's saying is, the New Covenant, the New Testament says, you get to approach your Father in Heaven now with an unimaginable level of relational familiarity and accessibility. You get to approach Him like He is your Dad. He is your Heavenly Father. And so passages like the Lord's Prayer... The many others that we have in the scripture that refer to God like this, Jesus himself, who is calling God Father, 
They're trying to help us see something about the character of who God is. And that character should shape the way we understand our posture, our, our lives before God. They show us that the fatherly love God has for His only Son is now extended to those who, who love Christ. Because Christ is in us. Jesus, uh, God loves us like God loves Jesus because Jesus is in those people who have professed this, this love for Him. Who have received His grace and are living in it. And that God va values your life in the same way He does His only Son is a powerful truth in the Christian faith. He loves you with the exact same love He has for His only Son. This is amazing. It is somewhat radical. And it's even radical by the standards of other world religions. And I want to give you, this is an example I shared with you about five years ago. And I share it with you today not because I didn't have a million stories to share. But because to this date, I'm just not sure there is a better one to highlight how audacious this idea is. How, how radical it is that God says we can call him this. And on the contrary, as we go to the back of this talk, um, just being mindful of the fact that there are many people in our world and in the faith that don't. They don't ever take advantage of this relational opportunity. And so it's an amazing Amazing comment that Jesus makes. Radical by all standards. And here's the example I want to share with you. Years ago, I, I read an interesting interaction that showed just how controversial the nature of this, uh, this idea of fatherhood in Christianity is. And it was uh, by, I've quoted him before, a Presbyterian, a retired now Presbyterian pastor in New York City uh, named Tim Keller. And he shared this story about how he was invited to like a, a very friendly, round-robin, uh, like theological panel between he was a Christian, there was an Islamic theologian, a few other people, but it was one of those interfaith dialogues where people were representing their faith and, and trying to understand the differences of where people were coming from. And so he was asked to participate in this friendly panel dialogue, and the subject was on the, the fatherhood of God. And so the foundation of his talk was built on how Jesus himself called God his father. Basically, the very idea we're talking about today is what he was talking about. And he pointed out that this, this relational truth we're talking about here was somewhat shocking to the people, especially those who had had different faith backgrounds. And he said that the audience was both a bit shocked, including some of the panel members, that both Christ and Christians would so casually refer to God this way. They were sort of astounded, like, like let me paraphrase, like, you talk to God like what? That's what they were saying. He's, he's God. How do you do that? And so afterwards, during some of the, the dialogue, one of the theologians uh, got up and said, uh, you know, shared his, his concern uh, with this foundational Christian truth. This was a person who was not a Christian. And they said, listen, in our faith, no one could, can, or should ever call God the Father. And their point was sort of a valid one. What they said was, is because God is too great a being to be approached that intimate, intimately. What he was saying was, is, listen, you know, it might sound good to approach God this way, but he went on to point out that it was completely audacious, especially, I want you to think about this, we might say, well, Jesus can call God Father. Well, because he's Jesus. He's the Son of God, and he's also God. That sort of makes sense. But Jesus takes this to a different level here. This prayer he gives us is a prayer to be applied to our life. And if we connect it to Matthew 6, that the application is Jesus says, you need to approach God like I approach God. What this guy was saying was, it is audacious to think that common people like you and me can approach God as Father. And I just want to say, if you really understand what we're saying this morning, what, what uh, Jesus is saying... That actually is a very true statement. If we really understand who God is, we should agree with the statement that it is audacious, somewhat ridiculous, to think that we, as common people, can approach God as our Father in Heaven. And I don't want to leave us on that statement. It is audacious. But there's also something rich and beautiful in that idea. It highlights why we should never take for granted the fact that in Jesus, we can call God Father. And in fact, Jesus tells us to call God Father. So what does this point out? What's the reason behind this, this uh, story? 
Well, when Jesus says we should call God our Father in Matthew, and we see him doing it in John, it proves why Christianity is so wonderful, and it is distinct from other faiths. The main point of these Our Father passages, let's just kind of frame them from that angle this morning, in the Bible, they're meant to show us this exceptional relationship that Jesus has with his Father. We get a window into this love that they have for each other. And what we begin to see, if you look at Jesus' life from A to Z, Jesus looks to his Father, he loves him, he seeks his counsel, he is comforted by him, there is a resolute trust in him, and consequently, all of who God is does nothing but enhance the love level and trust they have for each other. It's sort of like the relationship is strong, that words like obedience and faithfulness are no longer hard words to wrap your head around. They become the natural things you want to do when you really realize how much somebody loves you and cares for you. All throughout Scripture, God the Father and Jesus the Son, what we see, I mean, this is my 10 cent crack at a very complex theological idea. All throughout the Scripture, God the Father and Jesus the Son love to be with each other. If you want to understand what fatherhood is, according to God and His Son, you just have to look at them. They really long to be in each other's presence. In fact, when Jesus is on the cross, the only complaint He makes is, where are you? There is that moment where they are not together like they should be. There is a, a, a severance, if you will, of that, of that relationship they have. And in the truest sense, Jesus is still in God's presence at that point. It's just he's in the presence of his wrath. But think about that. Jesus' words on the cross, they cry out to this idea. He can't see God as Father right now because he is inheriting the judgment and the wrath of a God because of our sin. So what is amazing about this, what's so wonderful about this, is that the blessing... And the benefits we see God the Father bestow upon Jesus, according to teachings like this, are now completely bestowed upon us. The same relational blessing and love God has for His Son, He now has for us. And so the Bible is resolutely clear that when we believe in the Father by embracing the Son, we are then made sons and daughters of God. And we get to experience God's love in the very same way Jesus does. Simply put, God loves you with the same love He has for His Son. And so if you want to know what fatherhood on earth is supposed to be, no matter where your backdrop is, maybe you came from a not-so-great story. Maybe you, were, you inherited a not-so-great story that then became a great story. Maybe you had a wonderful example as a father. Wherever you are coming from, it is important to know that if you need a clarification on what fathership, fatherhood is, then all you need to do is turn to the relationship that God has with His Son. And in it, you will find every heart attitude, every action necessary to be a man and a father. Remember, I'm speaking to fathers today, but these, these exhortations are not limited to fathers. The bottom line here is that when we embrace this, we start to live a life that honors God and we start to look like God. And some of what we've talked about today, we're going to apply very practically now. So in the first half of this sermon, we talked a little bit about what biblical fatherhood is. The importance of recognizing people might have differences of opinion on it. But ultimately, there is, there is one objective reality of fatherhood, and that is who God is. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to use John 17 as a bit of a case study to point out how Jesus sought the presence of his Father during a very challenging time in his life. If you are a student of the Bible, you know in John 17, Jesus is going to his Father. Again, he's seeking his counsel, if you will, because he's about to go to the cross. These are essentially Jesus' last words on earth. And I love that it is his father who he desires to share them with. I mean, he loves us, but he's going to God right now in this moment in his life. So this passage is one of the best examples we have in the Bible of God the Father and his son interacting. And somewhat ironically, God doesn't say anything to Jesus as he prays. 
However, sometimes there are things that we can learn from silence. And that's what happens here. Just by the handful of things we're going to look at this morning, what we see is that Jesus approaches his father with an assumption about who he is. In other words, he, in the same way, if you have had a good relationship with somebody, maybe somebody you trust deeply, you go to them because you know you can trust them. That's what we begin to see here. Jesus is, is fully relishing in the fact that God is a, is a person with, with a noteworthy character. This leads me to the second truth I want to share with you this morning. Jesus' prayer with God clearly shows us what a father after God's own heart should look like. John 17, 3. Jesus says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you. Think about that. We've talked about knowledge and knowing God a lot in here, but eternal life is a synonym, according to Jesus, for the knowledge of God, for the intimate pursuit of who he is. You know, we tend to think of eternal life as something God gives us. But here what Paul said, like, you know, heaven. But here uh, Jesus says, no, eternal life is actually God himself. It's that you know him. That is the, the first step in eternal life. He says that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, the foundation that Jesus is, is building this relationship upon, the foundation that made his relationship with his father so exemplary, is this relational idea. It's that he intimately knows his father. He's saying, the way I know you, I want them to know you. Truly, this prayer exchange is one example of what a relationship, or we might say in this case, the relationship, between Jesus and his father looked like every, every day of his earthly life. And in a sense, what I like to say, when we look at this this narrative here, is that it's, it's uncommonly common. Think about what I just shared with you. God should not, because of who he is, be approached in this way. Uncommon, but totally common, because in Jesus, God says, you can approach me this way. In a sense, it's uncommonly common, and the same should be true for us in the way that we approach God. In the conversation, Jesus makes this direct connection between experiencing God's fatherhood and how deeply you know God. And this is why when he says we should, we should pray to experience eternal life. He defines it as knowing the Father like he knew the Father. And knowing here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I need to say it for clarity's sake, knowing here is much deeper than a cognitive exercise. It includes that, but that is meant to lead to something. It's talking about a type of relationship built on knowing someone personally and intimately. The way Jesus speaks to his Father shows us this, that he knows and has come to depend on some very important relational traits in his Father's life. Traits that need to be present in our lives if we want to reflect God properly as fathers. In other words, who God is should shape who we are. And there were two. There, there are actually a lot in the, in God, in the uh, Gospel of John chapter 17. But for time's sake, I'm only going to talk about two very big ones this morning. Two relational traits in this passage that need to be in our lives if we want to father in a way that honors God. And the first is simply this. A father living in good soil. Remember, good soil is the type of soil that God can plant his life in and work. A father living in the good soil will strive to be a holy example in all areas of life for his children. So one of the first things that we read in John 17 is, is this idea of, of holiness. Let me explain. Although we didn't read this verse today, when we back or, or continue to read through John 17, Jesus adds a qualifying statement to how he refers to God as his father. In verse 11 he says, uh, God, he calls him Holy Father. So it's Father, then Holy Father. And we can sort of see why, God, why Jesus trusts God. There's, there's this word holy that is attached to his name. And in many ways, we can rightly identify this as the foundational trait of a father that will define every, every other trait of a father. And I love that when Jesus approaches his father here, and certainly elsewhere in the Bible, he does so with this assumed understanding of who God is. There is never any question in Jesus' eyes, nor should there be in ours, 
about the character and type of person he's talking to. He calls him Holy Father. Because God has an immutable and unchanging a permanency in his character and his reputation. And if you have been with us for some time at Restoration, you know that I will never, ever say the word holy in a meeting like this, a lunch, or at a coffee table, without explaining what holy means. Because it is one of the most confused words in the Christian faith. And it has bred, this is where we're gonna, what we're going to be talking about last week, uh, misunderstanding the, uh, excuse me, next week, misunderstanding the word holiness can actually create a soil in our lives that we think is healthy but is anything but it. Uh, misunderstanding holiness doesn't create a life that is dependent on God's goodness and lives in its, His grace. It tends to create things like legalism and moralism and unhealthy forms of spiritualism. So understanding this trait in God is essential for our lives because we'll misapply it in our lives if we don't get it. So the short definition of holiness in the Christian faith is not anything that you and I do. We don't do anything to be holy. We can't be holy. That's impossible. If that was the case, we wouldn't need Jesus. The short definition of holiness in the Christian faith is when something, or in the case of fatherhood, someone has been exclusively set apart by God's grace for service to God. That's what makes something holy in the, in the Old Testament. It is in that world, you know, blessed by a priest, and God declares it and sets it apart as holy. Key, the key statement being God is the one doing the declaring and the setting apart. And in our world, under the New Covenant, when we are referred to as holy ones or saints, this is the idea. It's not that we did something to be holy. It's that in Jesus, God has made us holy. And so the idea is that we cannot produce this on our own. We don't even want to embrace it on our own. But when God the Father works in our lives through His Son and Spirit, He starts to produce this in our lives. So one of the signs of a holy heart is when, speaking about fatherhood, is when Jesus begins to transform and align us with the image of God. When we're talking about fathering. We begin to be like God because God is helping us to be like Him. When God's holiness is truly working in our lives, it, it develops us into a people who can be followed. What we're reading about today, a people who can be trusted. We start to look like God and act like God and sound like God, and I mean those in very heart deep ways. We start to reflect a reliability that reflects our Father in Heaven. Essentially, His character begins to become our character. And that is important to know, because the reason Jesus regularly seeks his Father is because he knows what he's going to get from his Father. And this is why he so dogmatically commends us to do the same. It's why we're told to do this in the, in the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, like, listen, this is amazing, and you should pursue it. You should take advantage of this. So God's holiness simply means that his character, it doesn't change. It is stable. It is consistent. His judgment, His counsel, His words, His actions, His wisdom, they are not affected by the shifting winds of the world or persuaded by the thoughts of men. He never has anything less than your best interest at heart. But your best interest will always be subjected to His interests. And that's what makes them the best interest for your heart. Amen. He cannot be persuaded. He will not take advantage of you or hurt you. And what we're saying here is because God is like this, to a certain degree, in very imperfect ways, there is no idealism in what I'm talking about today. We are called to reflect God in the same way. We're called to have the same degrees of holiness as men, as we love our families and raise our kids. On the contrary, much like today in Jesus' world, there were all kinds of gods and deities floating around. I've shared with you in the past, you know, the difference, the, the radical differences that Christianity were bringing to the, was bringing to the world in the first century, much like the one I just shared with you in this century. You know, there were all kinds of gods in Jesus' day, predominantly influenced by the Romans and the Greeks. And one of the, one of the combined character traits that they all had, those gods, is that they were all a little bit shifty. If you look at ancient writings, what you find is that the gods, lowercase g, 
of the old world were not like God, capital G, of the world. They were kind of ruled by emotion. They were steeped in immorality at times. They held grudges. They could be malicious. They would ruin your day if, if you had, if they had a bad day, they would ruin your day. And consequently what happened is that in those types of systems, nobody really loves the God. There's no fathering in that. Their, their relationship is built on appeasing the God. In other words, you're saying, I'm going to be nice to you because I really don't want you to wreck my world. That doesn't create love for a being. It just creates some kind of apprehensive fear. And maybe you're sitting here saying, like, the last time I checked, Anthony, I didn't decide to, to worship a, you know, a bronze idol. That's not what I do. But I'll tell you that, that we have our own idols in our lives today that do the same thing. Whenever we, we seek this type of love or relationship in something that is not God, as if it is God, you know, we can turn to the stability of life, vocation, success. There's a million things we can turn to. But at the end of the day, nothing is ever going to satisfy us, those lowercase g gods, like this presence Jesus is explaining to us here. In fact, what happens is, like, think about it. Money, success, life stability, health, all things that are not inherently bad. But you don't really love that stuff because it reciprocates a love to you. We love that stuff at times because it, it creates some form of relational stability, but not this kind of relational stability. You're sort of trying to appease that stuff in order to be happy. When God says, I can bring joy to your life and a relationship to your life that transcends all of those things. You can have joy in your life without anything. We can have joy in this room without a projector. Thank God, because I was almost sitting at 10.05. <laughs> Just got to be honest. We can. These things can enhance life, but they don't, they're not the root of life. So if you want to experience God and Father well, you must know this is not how it is with our Father in Heaven. He's not like the lowercase g gods. There's a beauty in God's holiness that inspires peace and confidence in the hearts of His children. That's us. And so as earthly fathers, we, we must strive for holiness in our relationships in the same way, uh, because in doing so, we exponentially increase our ability to raise godly children, to love our wives well, our families, and the, the spheres of influence God has given us. When we, in very human ways, key, key word, human ways, try to reflect the stable fatherly love God has for us and them. So this morning, I'll leave you with a diagnostic question. Uh, if you are in this room, especially if you are a current or aspiring father, no matter where you are, this matters, but if you are a current or aspiring father, are you the type of man your kids can look up to? And when they do look up to you, are they seeing Jesus? That's the question you have to ask. And it's okay to say we probably all have a little bit of yes and no in that, with that question. That's okay. Uh, because that's part of what it means to be fatherly with a lowercase f. Not fatherly like we're speaking here with God. He is perfect, but we are not. And God makes a great space for that in our lives. And let's be frank, when we have healthy relationships with our families and kids, they make a space for that too. I've never felt like my family has ever demanded perfection from me, although I often place that responsibility on myself. In fact, I'm astounded at times how much grace my kids will have with me. But I think the point is that we don't want to ever take, that for, uh, take advantage of that. We want to strive to love like God does, even knowing we'll make mistakes. So be honest with yourself and ask God to deepen the desire you have to be a good father and husband. To live as a father as God lives for you. Second thing I want to talk about here is that a father living in the good soil will strive to be intimate and available with his children. And so since Jesus says, hey, if you want eternal life, it's knowing God, uh, it would be pastorally negligent to not mention this idea. A father living in the good soil will strive to be intimate and available with his children. And this mark of fatherhood, uh, perhaps more than anything else we've looked at today, is a sticky one. Uh, because we do live in a culture that often pits masculinity against intimacy. Uh, in certain circles, being intimate is even considered somewhat of a weakness. The cultural spirit of the age, uh, I think this is getting a little better, but it still lingers in a great many circles. It's caused some families to draw this unhealthy dichotomy between how intimacy is handled with children. 
And a very stereotypical but somewhat honest way to describe this is that, you know, dad handles like discipline and spanking and mom deals with the, the matters of the heart. Uh, I know in my home growing up, my mom, that was her job. She dealt with what we would call the shepherding. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but kind of the care element was my mom's job. And my dad was handling all kinds of other things that, that, that was not in his radar. I'm not knocking my dad. I'm just saying it's been astounding to see how many people have grown up in homes like this. And if we're not careful, we might perpetuate that. And so in some circles, parenting, to a certain degree, is split down the middle. We sort, of, we sort of relegate certain duties to one of the parents. And I'm not saying that that's always a bad thing, but I'm saying it can create a significant problem in the life of a child if, if we're relegating fatherly responsibilities God gives us to other people. That is when it becomes a problem. Because we've already said young men and women will largely come to understand what manhood and fatherhood is based on the type of father they have. Remember, they can talk to God, but they will touch you and me. And that's different. There is a different learning curve that happens with, with something that is tangible. So if you were raised in a family like this, it is likely that words like intimacy, you know, conversation, being gentle, these might be things that are more uncomfortable to you. Maybe they're not. Maybe you overcame that. But I find with a lot of people, this is a, a hump they can't get over. And so as opposed to the person who was raised in a family where they might have had a more balanced understanding between their parents or their dad, there's a shared responsibility for shepherding the, the life of a child and a heart, both in the home and outside of it, where, where there are emotions. That, you know, dad does deal with emotions, and he does make investments. This is particularly for those of you and Jesus. There are fatherly faith investments. You know, uh, They speak to their hearts in times of need. And I make this specific statement about fatherly faith investments because when I was in seminary, I'll never forget, we had a class on it. It was like church trends, kind of a colloquial name for it. But they talked about how all the modern research said, if you want to reach a family, you really need to talk to mom. Because most of the men are disinterested in these ideas. They, they, are, they are less spiritual, you might say, than mom. Not all men, but a lot of them. Because to be spiritual, to be fatherly, like God says, requires us to tap into some of these emotions. And so the, the church research was beginning to reveal that a great many men were worshiping God as father, but not many of them were actually able to love like the Father in heaven does. And so that's a bit of an unfortunate reality. And then the North American church realized that and started attempting to reach women first. And believe me, we want to reach all people, but I'd like to reach them in a more balanced way, meaning we're, we're reaching men and women because they both begin to recognize their duties and uh, their responsibilities before God. And here's why. Matters of faith and family, they, what we saw was that they tended to be far less a concern for a father than they are a mother. But thankfully... There has been a change in this area as of late. It is encouraging to see um, a great many men, especially in my conversations with people, trying to be different. They're recognizing that because in the Christian faith, God is revealing that to them. They're recognizing that they need to be more engaged in some areas of their lives when it comes to having families and children. And in light of that, this is where I'd give you a story. But rather than giving you a story, we're going to ask somebody. Uh, Andrew, there you are. Come on down. Andrew Murray is one of our gospel partners. They've been with us for several years. Uh, so you know, uh, in large part, there are about five people at our church that uh, make sure you have hot coffee each week. So you better clap and laugh and be really kind to us <laughs> right now. Otherwise, you'd all be dozing off. Uh, seriously, we and his wife, who's under the lights over there, they, they serve on hospitality. And in many ways, they are they're wonderful people that love Jesus. But there's a particular reason I asked Andrew to come up here today. And it was to share about a conversation he and I had in North Carolina a few weeks ago at a wedding that I had performed. So, Andrew, if you would share your story about your father, we'd love it. I just want to start by saying happy Father's Day. Uh, I get the great pleasure to speak at my dad a little bit today, which uh, is really special to me. I shared this with Pastor Anthony about a month ago at Patrick and Brand's wedding, and 
uh, I didn't realize that sharing it with him would be kind of encouragement for him as a father. And I think sometimes as someone who's not a parent, we don't really realize the struggles and sacrifices that parents go through and the fact that they need encouragement and support as well. And so he asked me to kind of share that today uh, as well. And so I wanted to start by reflecting on my dad and I's relationship and how it got to today, which I would consider like an awesome relationship. And I think when I look back and ask 14-year-old Andrew, would you consider your dad a best friend? I'd probably say no, and not because I don't love him or care a lot about him, but because I needed him as a guidance and leadership, more of an authority figure. But if you ask me that same question today, I'd say without a doubt I consider him a best friend. And the reason I think that is is because throughout all the ups and downs of my life, he was just always really there for me. Even when I thought, you know, I needed him, he was there. But, but more importantly, when I thought I didn't need him and tried to rebel, he was there. And because of that, it kind of led to a natural transition to our relationship today because he's just as available now as he ever was. But I need him less for leadership and guidance and a little bit more for a best friend, which is a role I think he really excels at. So for parents that are kind of in those tough years, I think back to teen years when I was kind of rebelling a little bit, I hope it's encouraging that you know the investments you make can really lead to a great relationship later on. And I also think, like Pastor Anthony's talking about, it's important to note that my dad came from one of those families where it was a, kind of a little bit weird to be intimate. When my dad was a young kid, I think about five years old, not because my grandpa wasn't a good guy, but he said it's time to start you know, giving handshakes opposed to hugs because that's what men do in this family. And so it didn't come easy for my dad, but I'm really thankful because he made a conscious decision that we were going to have a little bit of a different relationship. And so if you're from a family like that, I hope it's encouraging that you too can make a decision like that because from the one who's received um, the grace and love from that decision, it's been amazing in my life. And kind of the last thing I want to share, a little bit of hope and encouragement, is my dad and my grandfather really kind of had an interesting relationship. We'll call it a little bit rocky for most of their life. And I got to see this come full circle later on in life because my dad and grandpa became good friends as I was growing up. And it all kind of came um, to, to what I would call the, you know, the, the big point of definition when my grandpa saw my dad and I a couple years ago at Christmas wrestling around. And he said, uh, and I'll never forget how he said this. This is one of the last things I remember he said before he passed away. We've broken the chain of fathers and sons not being friends in this family. And that was just really, really amazing to hear. And I could tell at that moment it meant something to him as a father that I'll probably never understand until, God willing, I have my own kids. But I really could tell then that I had you know, some amazing men in my life, and specifically my dad, someone that I love and call best friend. And I couldn't be more thankful that he made the decision to pursue me and be available with me you know, throughout my entire life. So, um, yeah, I want to say happy Father's Day to him. He's not here today, but I, I really wish I could be with him. And happy Father's Day all you guys again. I hope that's a little encouragement for you. There's your new pastor. <laughs> I mean, think about that, right? That was so powerful. That, that reoriented my whole head when we were having that conversation last month. And uh, think about the, the example that it sets, especially the, the rhythms of, of God the Father and how God loves us and how we're called to love each other. You know, as fathers, we have a God-given responsibility to also shape our kids' hearts and minds to deal with all the matters of life. And I, I want to make one last comment here before we begin to wrap up. Uh, contrary to popular belief, this is something I've said before, and I'll say it again. Uh, raising kids without intimacy and availability, this sort of stood out a little bit, and this is the same kind of home I was raised in. We tend to think that it's, it's going to make a, a kid tough, like that it, it helps them to you know, deal with the world. But in my experience, especially as I'm getting older, what I see is that it doesn't make kids tough, uh, or the people we claim to love tough. It sort of starts to make them hard, and that is different. Tough it can be a good thing in life. We need it at times. Hard is sort of rebellious and resistant and jaded. And in this situation here, these are two very different hard postures. 
one is, one is likely going to draw you to God the Father if we experience his types of rhythms. The other is likely going to push the people we say we love away from God the Father. And I'm telling you that when we talk about a, a subject matter like today, what we need as people, like how we have been relationally designed, our children, the people we love, God says we all need love, availability, and intimacy. And so if, as fathers, we're not providing it for our children, they're going to go someplace else to get it. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And what we want to have happen is, is, a, is there to be like a clear path where whenever they are experiencing love and intimacy and availability, it is directing them to their Father in Heaven. That is going to help our kids and the people we love, our wives and families, to understand more deeply where to go when they need the kind of fatherly love that only God can give. That's the difference between them turning to God or something else in life. And so this morning, I want to ask every person in this room, especially our current and aspiring fathers, are you the type of person, the type of man that your kids can turn to, your wife can turn to, your, your peer circles can turn to, no matter where they are in life? You know, whether you are six years old, if you're, a, uh, you're, you're talking to your six-year-old right now, or you're 26-year-old, do they see Jesus in you? It's important that they do. I'll leave you with this. <clears throat> I need to leave you on a strong note of hope, because this is a high bar today, I get it. As we close, let me say this, that when it comes to fathering, our, our Father in Heaven is perfect, but we are far from that. This is not an ideal or a plea for the perfect. We are bound to make mistakes as fathers, we should margin for them. This is why we need a relationships and accountability. We can learn from each other in these areas. But, but even in our failures and mistakes, we can learn something about God. Even when we fail our children and our families, we can show them something about God. When we do err, he is faithful to forgive and shepherd our hearts back to him. Like, we get to make mistakes. And I think in our, pe our people that we love seeing that, it actually lets them to recognize another relationship rhythm that God gives us or shows us. And we can make mistakes. We can strive for holiness and error, make errors or error, but still experience the love of God. Because remember, holiness is not based on what we do for God. It's based on what God has done in us. Now, I'd encourage you to never take advantage of that. It can be a very blurry line, meaning we can get to this place in our lives where we, we sort of realize God is the one producing holiness in us, and we abandon all responsibility to that. You know me well enough to know that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to take the pressure zone away from the fact of leaving a, a message like this this morning and feeling like maybe you're in a place where you need to grow as a father a lot. I don't want you leaving here discouraged. Because when it comes to fathering, God doesn't expect perfection, but he does expect us to strive to be more like him every single day to strive to be men who raise our kids in a way that honor him, and to learn and grow from our mistakes when we make them. In short, fathering is a constant exercise in being holy before those we love and growing in God's holiness before the God that we love. So if you have realized today that you have some room to grow as a dad, as a dad, let me say, uh, welcome to the club. And if we're being honest, every one of us should always arrive at that conclusion. We should always desire to grow and know we can. If you come to this today, approach your Father in heaven. Ask him for grace and strength to help you grow in holiness. Know he is available to you and wants to be intimate with you. He wants you to have the type of relationship with him that he has with his son. He wants you to live like a father that is living after his own heart. And as we close today, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about fatherhood, and what is it you intend to do as you leave this place?